0: Hello and welcome once again to the Morbid Museum. We are your hosts, Katie Mead and
1: Luke Boyd. Hey everybody. How's happy, it going? Happy February.
0: Uh today uh we're recording on Ash Wednesday, Luke.
1: We are recording on Ash Wednesday. How which, morbid.
0: Which y'all, you know what that means next Wednesday is Cat Wednesday. <laughs> Cat Wednesday? Yeah, remember from, from yes, the Pope. The dead popes,
1: yes. <laughs> get ready to throw
0: your cats out the window everybody oh
1: my god (laughs) that's uh that's yeah holidays still remembered still celebrated so the cat festival is next week in europe
0: uh that's every three years that's every three years yeah they do it in may and it's not happening i think till 2025 but we can start throwing some cats out our windows next week if we want
1: i'm pretty sure there's still a midsummer underbelly to all of that shit oh for sure no (laughs) doubt
0: (laughs) But on to the plan at hand, the man at hand. Indeed.
1: One of the men of the century, folks. Today's subject of the Morbid Museum podcast is Ulysses Simpson Grant, the 18th president of the United States. Great name. Love the name Ulysses. Ulysses, Ulysses. We have covered several presidents so far, and this will be our, I think, final chapter of our presidential review. It is, uh, yes. So y'all are welcome, and uh, thank you for bearing with us. So, also, sorry. Sorry. We are still way up in the 19th century. We are only going to take our story until a few years after the death of the last president, Katie talked about, President Garfield, which that's right. was in 1881. We are now dealing with the death of President Grant, even though he was president before Garfield. He dies just four years later in 1885. So Grant... Grant... Grant is the 18th president of the United States, two after Lincoln. So we're right after the Civil War. And Ulysses S. Grant is one of the most known, famous, and beloved figures of this 19th century that we can't stop talking about.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, it was, I think, a foregone conclusion that eventually he would probably be a president due to his popularity.
1: Exactly. So Grant serves in the American Civil War, and his death signaled, if you would, the slow retreat of the generation that had fought in the war. Lincoln, of mm. course, was assassinated 20 years later. Grant dies. And so it's signaling a generational shift. And because of Grant's outsized role in brokering the peace between the North and the South, he represented the best intentions for the post-war reality that were not coming to fruition fully Yeah, um, 20 years later. So it was really complicated his goodbye and the outpouring of grief in the wake of his death was monumental and it took place of course in across the country but it was centered in our beloved new york so this is very much a new york story even though grant is a a national figure in midwestern (laughs) Um, so and we love grant grant is a tragic figure in terms of what he lives through he kind of just absorbs the worst energies of the american civil war in the field of battle yeah, you know he eats that—the sin of the war. He sees it firsthand, and apparently Grant was not someone who dealt with morbidity very well. He apparently was k- kind of squeamish,
0: which <laughs> seems like the perfect person to lead an army. <laughs> like what? Ew! <laughs> it's gross out here. You have blood everywhere. I hate it. <laughs> I
1: saw shot, i saw a guy get shot today, and it was—he was, was really—he was bleeding a lot. Um, so...
0: Just like no, had two legs, then one leg. What? <laughs> What even happened?
1: You could not watch the Patriot with Ulysses S. Grant. Oh, um, he's the
0: worst. He through, talks through movies. He asks a lot of questions. Through his he's
1: fingers. Like, smoking. Just like uh, shut up. The, <laughs> the
0: fucking cigars, man. So
1: stinky. So you know,
0: Sooner or later that's gonna catch up with you. <laughs>
1: it's not good for your health, Ulysses. <laughs> so uh I think I'm really excited to have this opportunity to talk about Grant. Um he I'm was excited. He was just a really enigmatic figure. You know, he had this humble quietude to him. He had this big dad energy. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Did he have any kind of um, nickname of any kind? Was he known by anything? Was he
1: Ulysses? I I think his name is kind of complicated. So his
0: name is complicated. He
1: was born with the name Hiram,
0: which is not.
1: Better. No, no. <laughs> Very scary Mormon preacher name. Um, yeah. and so he's like Hiram Ulysses. And then he somehow becomes Ulysses Simpson. And right. The whole thing. Like a lot of these presidents, like Bill Clinton wasn't born Bill Clinton. Right. Joe Ford wasn't born Gerald Ford. No. Like there's this weird name making going on with the presidents. And yeah. like, like they say in Seinfeld, presidents have to have terrible names. <laughs> like, what are all these names? Woodrow, Grover. <laughs> Woodrow Grover. Yeah. Not great. Garfield. So, Garfield. He's a, he's a humble man. He's quiet. He has this quiet sensibility. He's very popular. He's a Western man. Like our buddy Lincoln. He mm-hmm. is of the people. He's not gender. He's not educated at some Ivy league school. Um, he's not of the elite. He is one of the great people of his age who comes up from the bottom. Yeah. Um, and he's beloved in the North and he's also admired greatly in the South. So. Let's just remind ourselves quickly of the presidency of General Grant. He serves two terms, which from 1869 to 1877. So this is just the Civil War had been just freshly cooled 4 years before. President Johnson had a really tough time, the Democrat who was the vice president <laughs> under Lincoln. Oh, did he? <laughs> Johnson, buddy. Poor Andrew Johnson. He's Um, like,
0: I was not built for this, (laughs) friends.
1: I I was making hats in uh, Tennessee, whatever he was doing. And um, so he was impeached, as you know. Johnson is so, you know, Lincoln's assassinated. Johnson is is impeached. The, The fate of the Union is imperiled. And Reconstruction starts in 1865. Yeah. And you know, I remember I took a college course that was a like a history required course and it was American history reconstruction, eighteen sixty five. Oh, it was just
0: reconstruction? Woo, yeah. that's hardcore. Or it
1: was American history through reconstruction. So yeah. it was like it ended in 1877. And for many historians, they would say that 1877 is the end of Reconstruction, which is the end of Grant's presidency. Which? Now, Rich, <laughs> now, Katie's, Katie's uh, retort is that, well, so yeah, modern scholarship is saying, no, Reconstruction <laughs> ends, if you even want to say it ends, in the 20th century. Like, it's a yeah. much longer transition out of the war. Yeah. But Grant's... You know, time is sort of bookending it. He brokers the peace in 1865, which leads to Reconstruction, which many would say are you know ends in his at the end of his term. That's a really soft end for uh, Reconstruction. You know, when Grant was in office, he did a great deal to try to set Reconstruction in motion he uh, he sees the 13th and 14th amendments passed 1865, yeah. 1868 we have slavery is abolished, now we have birthright citizenship, so people who were born enslaved who are now freed have citizenship regardless of what people say and around this time, in 1866 or so the KKK was formed Yep. so the Ku Klux Klan is, is a alt right, what we'd say today, Christian reaction to what's going on it's white nationalist, it's saying that the fate of this country is it's a white Christian country, mm-hmm. we have to wrest it away from these black people who are going to take away our American idea and identity. And so of course they do terrible things. Yeah.
0: They're the most extreme version of the Confederacy. It is.
1: It is the it, KK Confederacy. They're the
0: worst members of the Confederacy who feel like the war is not over. Yeah. We're not done here. And they yeah. had a lot
1: of they had a lot of fun burning and pillaging in the Civil War. So they kept going. It was a lot of yeah. these were Confederate generals, fucking monsters. Um, they're awful. So we talk about yeah. this culture of lynching, this violence towards blacks. You know, Grant sees this come up, and he establishes the Department of Justice while he's president. And the focus of the Department of Justice is to protect the civil rights of all Americans, especially black people who were endangered in the South mm-hmm. and opponents to these amendments. So. Now there's a there's a of course a political maneuver here because in 1868 when Grant is elected he wins by 300,000 votes and historians would point to the fact that there were 500,000 black votes that mm-hmm. were in existence in this time period. So if he can keep the black vote under the Republican banner it's a good move for him. But Lord sure. knows Lord knows people of color were not voting Democrat because to vote Democrat in the 1860s was to vote for <laughs> (laughs) the confederacy lynching (laughs) yeah (laughs) right so it was you know it's it's sort of a a, a no a a foregone conclusion here and so grant champions the 15th amendment which protects the black vote which is the right thing to do morally and politically for it also
0: isn't a bad thing for him either
1: lines up yeah so this is in the interest of republicans now of course historians can say this is grant look at what grant is doing he's doing this for the for the black man but women Native Americans, completely overlooked in this country. Oh, yeah. Who
0: cares about them?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he doesn't do anything negative to women besides not recognizing them, Grant, but he does do some messed up stuff to the Native Americans um, in yeah. terms of assimilation. So, yes, you know, there were two camps, you know, in how to deal with the Indian problem, as they would have called it in those days. Yeah. You know, assimilation, meaning convert them to christianity make them americanized westernized have them wear our clothing force them
0: to abandon
1: their culture their language yes yeah. their land for reservation that was temporary air quotes, a lot of air quotes if y'all today.
0: are watching 1923 oh uh, great okay. example of the schools that are just
1: awful underfunded terrible graceful so uh you saw 1923 did you did we talk about this did you see the english
0: No, I didn't.
1: Okay. So the English folks, another side of the coin, also a very good show on Amazon dealing with the, the native question um, in like the 1890s. So interesting. These two shows, history shows, you know, which we love to see tackling this, this really complicated topic, very late game, but we do like to see it. Um, So regardless of these shortcomings and regardless of the failings of the, of the reconstruction era, the gilded age, you know, scandal ridden era that grant was a part of mm-hmm. everybody's riding the casino of the economy it's going crazy off the rails uh, he was still an immensely popular president um but it i had would...
0: successes it's not like he no. was a failure
1: no he was he he got he, he he had two terms he was reelected. and you know would you say grant based on what you know you've yeah. seen the documentaries yeah, you, yeah. you know this guy do you think grant is as popular today as he was back then
0: well, Yuli, as I like to call him, he lets me call him. <laughs> Sorry, um. fishing for a nickname. We found one.
1: <laughs> I'm glad.
0: Uh, me and Yuli go way back. Um, <laughs> you know, he's interesting because I think what's happening with a lot of presidents is they're being looked at under a microscope because we're sort of in this post uh, sycophantic Ooh. place. With presidents? I mean, you and I clearly aren't, (laughs) but the rest of the country.
1: We're not post-reductive, but we're post (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, Where it's like, okay, but like, sure, he did this and he did that. But how many lives were lost under him in terms of the native peoples of this country? Did this guy own slaves? Like, you can look at- presidents that you may know and love and find out that they, at some point, they were slave owners. And I believe Grant is one of them.
1: Grant married a slave-owning family. Right. The, the Dents. I don't know if the Grants- If he himself ever had slaves. <laughs> the Dents were actually had enough money to even have slaves. Well, yeah. Then there's that. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. And there's, you know, and and all that stuff is, not that it forgives anything, but you, you take certain things with a grain of salt because that is also alt-right. Mm. Conspiracies, like if any of you have ever heard that Lincoln owned slaves, that is an alt-right conspiracy mm-hmm. to try to sully him in some way. Um, Mary Todd's family were slave owners. They but, were. Um, he. There's
1: no evidence. interesting parallel.
0: Yeah, there's no evidence of him owning a slave, and and worst of all, he's accused of selling the slave that he inherited from Mary rather than
1: setting the slave free.
0: There's zero evidence
1: of this. Yeah. Um, Go to Lincoln, Lincoln boyhood home. They <laughs> There's no enslaved yeah. people attached to the Lincoln, the Lincoln to, farm.
0: To, again, poor. So yeah, I think Grant has, he has a mixed history from everything that yeah. I've ever learned about him. I think, yeah, there's that weird, and we see this with a lot of presidents from that time period. There's this weird dichotomy of like, so you had slavery like in your backyard at some point but you also are responsible for the annihilation of the Ku Klux Klan. Right. He didn't just like fight against them. Yeah. They got wiped out under his presidency. Unfortunately, obviously they come back. Yeah. But it wasn't a thing because of him. So it's that's why I think the these histories are complex because I think we always want to make things very forgive the expression, black and white, no, it's but true. there's a lot of gray. There really is. Um, That's right. And I don't, I don't want to sound like an apologist or anything, but yeah, you can't, you can't erase the things that he did. And his motivation was for the betterment of all
1: specifically mankind. <laughs>
0: That's right. um, yeah. And he fought for things that, you know, he certainly didn't have to He
1: fought, he fought hard and you can, you get a sense. He's kind of like Washington where he's like, he's got this quiet sensibility grant. He's like this reluctant warrior. Like he he, he can't make it in there. He's, he's not even the most successful or appealing person in the real world, but he's just like this warrior (laughs) hero who can only save you and then run away. Like he's Optimus Prime. So I think,
0: I think (laughs) for like the lay person, I think they think of him more as, you know, the head of the union army. That's his bigger legacy for most people. I think for his presidency, I think people who are, like, a little bit more in the know maybe think more of scandal, and then and then on the positive side the clan stuff but i i think what happens after he leaves office is just the saddest thing which you're obviously going to talk about yes. and he his, he's just very interesting if you want to get to know him as, as a president so really yeah I, I mean personally i uh, you know i'll judge his presidency all i damn well want <laughs> but i think for the most part he he did he did do a lot of good i think you can't overlook the horrible things he did Though,
1: no, and I think you're right. His presidency, his his generalship in the Civil War, eclipsed his presidency
0: by far. Presidency
1: was was like cherry on top. Like we like having you around, so we got a job for you. Here you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you. and it's like very
0: Washingtonian, right? exactly. Which Similar it's a script. Vibes.
1: It's a cultural script. Yeah. and mm-hmm. I would say you know in his time. You know his outpouring was immense. He is in the he is in the pantheon, but like he's not on Mount Rushmore. You know he no. quickly kind of dips, like he goes from really high in the esteem of the public to 20th century. Who you know who's no. buried in Grant's tomb? Because I don't actually know, honey. Because so, <laughs> <laughs> I because he's not obscure. So it's Resputin actually. stand <laughs> <it's Daniel>. you. <laughs> it's Jimmy Hoffa. Um, okay, that's a good one. Um, so. <laughs> that's where he ended up okay okay, okay. Uh, so so he's in the pantheon of amazing presidents in the 1880s but by the 20th century not so much he goes on a world tour after he's president for two years now that's expensive that's an expensive (laughs) ass vacation now presidents don't have you know no liberty mutual life insurance policy no nothing you know what i'm saying they actually
0: this is an important thing to talk about luke oh yeah even then Uh, You know, what what was your takeaway after your presidency? Like, what did you actually walk away with? Because our presidents are pretty well taken care of to a certain extent today.
1: Yeah, they make about 400 grand a year.
0: They have security, health insurance, you know, the um, best
1: ice cream on tap.
0: Yeah, we take pretty good (laughs) care of them. So when Grant leaves, kind of what does he walk out of that White House with?
1: Not a lot. He um, he has some shekels. (laughs) And he's got some sweetheart deals. He's got some shit going on, some investments. But it's the Gilded Age. It is opulence. It is expensive. Mm -hmm. So you know, he and his wife Julia, they've lived a hard ass life. They're they're, now. They're having caviar in the south of France. They're doing their thing. So two years, two years European vacation. He comes back to the U.S. and around 1880, he's thinking he's gonna be president again there's that little rumor that goes around. He's like going to maybe be president. Then Garfield's like, "Mm, I'm better than you. Uh, (laughs) New generation.
0: (laughs) The country
1: is like, "Mm, we like Garfield better. So, and so that's what happened.
0: Someone who's honest.
1: Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Grant, you're chubby now. So, <laughs> so he has an unsuccessful third term, which is seems insane to me. I think it was more like, well, I like living in the White House, and it's a real good salary. <laughs> the mother, food's, we, the food's pretty good. Mother, we need a place to live. <laughs> so <laughs> poor guy. Poor mother. So Julia, of course, his mother, his wife, the First Lady. Um. So now, what happens, Grant? Uh, Ulysses and Julia have about six kids. Jesus, and too many kids. Um, too many kids. Ulysses Jr. becomes one of the partners in a brokerage firm known as Grant and Ward. Now, the Grant and Ward firm has been compared to a Madoff operation or a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> <It's>
0: so bad. <laughs> Womp.
1: So what does that mean? That means that Ulysses Jr., Grant, Grant Jr., is pulling money from Grant, his dad, from all of his relatives, his his siblings, his mom. Everybody's investing in this brokerage firm because then Junior's gonna take the money with his friend Ward and invest it around and make us lots of money, and we can just sit on our railroad fortune eating ice cream until the end of time. Guess what doesn't guess what doesn't happen? They don't keep a cent. So no ice cream.
0: There was no, no ice cream, ice cream. <laughs> for you.
1: So in fact, you owe us ice cream. So what? they lose all their money in the in the Ponzi scheme, and by eighteen eighty four, Grant is completely broke. In fact, he has like one hundred and eighty nine dollars in his bank account, and he's one hundred and fifty k in debt. So he's not doing well
0: it's financially.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's living in New York City on sixty sixth Street in Manhattan. Who can
0: and afford it? Who can? Oh my God! This brownstone.
1: So what sixty six and ha- what? 66th and oh east so sorry, three east sixty sixth street. So 66th, okay. So he's on the east side. So I guess he's like kind I've of mid- pa- I've passed it for sure.
0: But uh, I right you know I was like that's a great idea. Lived, I lived on seventy third and York for a number of years and I lived on sixty first and first for a while. So I definitely I've I've seen it, but I couldn't remember this what the cross the- streets
1: were curdy curdy in manhattan Tree. yeah no one cares i don't know why i'm talking no, about this anyway no, no
0: one gives a shit. <laughs> anyway continue
1: so he's poor <laughs> he's poor and so um one night while eating peaches mrs grant remembers that the general felt a stinging sensation in the back of his throat and this is a direct quote mm, oh my i think something has stung me from that peach <laughs> Thought nothing of it, didn't complain to anybody. Turns out that was carcinoma. That was cancer in the tonsillar pillar in the back of Grant's throat. By spring of 1884, Grant had received his diagnosis. He had an inoperable throat and tongue cancer. Awful. From a lifetime of smoking cigars.
0: Don't smoke, y'all. It's not good. And 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 cigars are really bad in terms of mouth. And tongue and throat cancer
1: specifically yes.
0: because of the way that you smoke a cigar. That's exactly um, right. It's so bad for you. So bad. Yeah.
1: So this is actually something that's really interesting. So you remarked on this about talking about Grant, I think, and his uh, hotness um, <clears> that, <throat> that you know, Grant's been written about extensively about his drinking, which yeah. was perhaps overblown or exaggerated or just whatever, mod- moderated. The same could be said of his cigar smoking. He's like the cigar celebrity. So, he is. They make yeah. it
0: sound like he went to bed with one, woke up, lit a new one, Like never put a cigar out in his life.
1: (laughs) And there's cute quotes like Julia says, like, oh, he was like a little factory puffing away like a smokestack. And it's really sweet but also really bad for you. So they say he smoked between 12 and 20 cigars a day, which
0: so many hurts
1: to think about, hurts my throat to think about. Like I, I have a cigar like twice a year and, you sure. know, I no, have I like, get, I, it's
0: like a nice luxurious. It is at a my wedding, husband, you know, yeah, my husband enjoys a cigar here and there. Absolutely.
1: But like, you know, and so of course, just like Churchill and a lot of these people, like, you know, it's a lot of it's exaggeration. People would say he'd let his cigar go out constantly. He'd work on one for like hours. But the key thing is like you said, Katie, he chewed him. The chewing and the chewing is just as bad, if not worse, than smoking them because you can smoke and not, and he's supposed to puff the cigar, but the way that you know the sort of chemicals are rolled and the leaves, that stuff just leaches into your teeth, into your mouth, your lips, your gums, your yeah. throat. It's just migrating through. And so Grant, in the American Civil War, at the Battle of Fort Donelson, is famously seen by the press with a cigar. And he becomes this overnight cigar celebrity. People send him cigars by the boatload. Oh, so he couldn't so smoke them fast enough. And he always had cigars on him. Um, and you know
0: what? I've never read this about him, but I wonder also, because it's, yeah. it was obviously such a thing at the time too, if he also chewed. Because if he yeah. chewed tobacco, that's quadrupling. That that problem. is
1: a multiplier of the throat cancer, yes, um, tremendously so. And you're in. It's an interesting point you bring up, Katie, because we're getting away from like snuff in this time period. Yeah, and the cigars are just dropping on the scene. Like they're really just becoming a fad. Yeah, um, you know, I've heard crazy things. There's so much mythology. I've heard yeah. crazy things like, oh, you know, in the field of war, the only thing that could drown out the stench was a cigar. And I'm like, that's a positive externality of the cigar, sure. <laughs> yes,
0: but you know, I also want <laughs> like
1: bolting away from the smell.
0: <laughs> I also understand cigars are relaxing. Chewing tobacco gives you energy. Mm -hmm. So if you're exhausted, you've been walking, your shoes are basically ground down to nothing, and you still have to somehow fight a war... Tobacco is gonna give you that extra little oomph. Exactly. Fucking, I get it.
1: <laughs> and, peop- and he, and it was said, he, he, it helped him relieve stress. He's burdened with this great responsibility of leading the yeah. war, leading the country. Cigars are also the amount of cigars he smoked, depending on how stressful he was, how stressed out he was, what he was going through, and that sort of thing. Yeah. So Grant has this idea that he now he likes to save things. He has to save his family from financial ruin. And the way he's going to do that. <laughs> After the fact? After it's already been ruined? <laughs> he's going to do a Hail Mary and yeah. <laughs> try to write his memoirs before he dies of an inoperable tumor in the back of his throat. God love him. Wow. Wow. This
0: not highly educated
1: gentleman. gentleman. No, exactly. Wants to pursue this. Yeah. Um, so Grant had been pursued by publishers for years to write his memoirs, mm-hmm. you know, of all the memoirs of the civil war that exist. Grant's was the most, you know, uh, exciting, most interesting to think about. Of course. Yeah. So, um, Grant goes to century publishing who had long since outstretched their hands for an offer and he, uh, he's looking up at a contract and he takes the contract home to look at it. Uh, when he's home, days later, his new friend, a younger man by the name of Samuel Clemens, aka Mark Twain, <laughs> visits him in Manhattan. <laughs> Mr. Twain, Mark, I presume. So, Mark? Mark? <laughs> Hello, Mark. <laughs> So this is very good for us. So Mark Twain is good friends with Samu- with 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 General Grant, with Samuel Clemens. Um, I should hope they so. They <laughs> I should hope so. So Samuel Clemens has been a great admirer of the General, like many men of his age. He has a huge sure. bo- bromance with the General. Mm-hmm. Um, he said of his friend Grant that he was Grant intoxicated, which is just... A That's perfect cute. Twainian quote, even if it's not real. Um, guy Love. <laughs> got mad Guy Love. He's living in Hartford at the time. <laughs> he is really coming into his own. He had just written Tom Sawyer several years before. And, he and was Hartford
0: just... to the Upper East Side. That's a pretty, pretty close for the day.
1: Yes. And he would, he had a place in New York too. So like he oh, would decamp. He's
0: that successful. At that he place. was, yeah. yeah. There's
1: like, yeah. There's like a Mark Twain tour that takes you around all his little haunts when he lived in like six different apartments in New York. In oh, his that's ice, fun. I didn't know
0: he love. ever lived in the city at all. Oh yes, that's super. He fun. was like
1: a moonlighter. You know, Hartford was his was his main hub, but like Hartford, Hartford. Not that exciting. Not that exciting. Even in the 1870s. Okay, so <laughs> that's
0: really hell sad. out of there. <laughs> Hartford, Hartford has never been fun.
1: I have I have like a real complicated relationship. I with, know. with my Hartford. We've so talked about
0: your not yes. Past. It's, like, it's like
1: it's like I can shit on it right. Anyway, so it's like no, please shit on it because it's like you know no. It's we love that. So uh, so so Twain would drop in on Grant when he was in town, and he looks at Grant's contract and he goes, "This is." Prep- Man, you can't take this contract with Century Publishing. They're not giving you nearly enough royalties that you deserve. God he met him. A man of your stature. Now, Clemens knows this well. I'll say Clemens and Twain interchangeably. Mark Twain's a pseudonym of Samuel Clemens. Yes. Sam Clemens had been had by many publishing deals before. He had been, you know, cheated out of profits from his books. And And he was a great champion of writer's rights. Yeah.
0: That's that's uh, I think I learned this from you, actually, is that, that that was a pretty common thing at that time, that many yeah. of our greatest authors of that time period would be taken for a ride and lived in borderline poverty. Like Dickens is one Dickens of them from the Victorian era. is
1: a great example, who was just a generation before Sam Clemens right doing this ridiculous lecture circuit in his 60s to pay the bills. Disgusting. Horrible. So yeah. these publishing companies really had these authors, you know, by the you-know-what.
0: The short ones. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So Clemens at this time is launching his own publishing company called the Charles W. Webster Company. So it's his friend, Charles Webster, but it's really Mark Twain's company. He's not calling it Mark Twain Publishing. And they are just they just published Huckleberry Finn in the UK in 1884. Huge success. Now it's being published in the United States under Charles Webster. So Twain has his own publishing house and his own blockbuster book. And he's like, we're going to publish your book, Grant, your memoirs alongside Huckleberry Finn in the year 1885. Amazing year for literature. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) Grant starts writing his memoirs in late 1884, around November. He's declining rapidly. So he is losing weight, struggling to eat and swallow, having difficulty talking, cannot sleep. He's depressed, Um, but he's a prolific writer. He gives up cigars and he pours all of his energy into writing this remembrance of his time fighting in the Mexican and the American Civil Wars. And, you know, (laughs) sycophantic or not, historians today would say, he was a very fluent writer, a very prolific writer, writing thousands of pages in, a, in like a day in a sitting. Um, and, you know, he's not dictating because he can't talk. So he is right. like writing this by hand or he's kind of scratching out, you know, text and it's being transcribed for him. Um, so he's really flying. And all yeah. told, the book is 600 plus pages, two volumes, which is incredible.
0: That's wild. If yeah. you had to sit down right now and try to write your own memoir, I, I just I, I couldn't can barely get this podcast
1: written. <laughs> can barely write a caption on an Instagram post. Um, can barely write a grocery list. When were you laughing at a grocery list? Um,
0: <laughs> I did the other day and I forgot stuff.
1: <laughs> Dude. Even no with me- a ha- list, I forgot. There ain't no memory to be had left. It's done. Uh, so write it down.
0: So- he didn't have, you know what? He didn't have TikTok. So that's why he, he didn't
1: didn't have- have- <laughs> The Chinese government was melting his brain. You're absolutely Thank correct. Thank you. Um, please. Please. <laughs> Cancer. We're, we're having a hard time. Yeah. So, <laughs> grape shot or not? Um, <laughs> anyway, so he's pushing through the pain. The book is keeping him alive, and he would uh, Grant would say to his son, "I said I had been adding to my book and to my coffin. I presume every strain of my mind or body is one more nail in the coffin." So he knows that exerting himself is running his his yeah. works down. But he has to get this book done if his family's gonna have a chance in hell to survive. So Twain drops in on Grant during this process and he lets the general know that he's already got hundred thousand, you know, pre-sold subscriptions for the book. Twain Amazing. was brilliant at selling books by subscription, meaning you would subscribe to a periodical and you'd get a chapter of the book a week.
0: Oh, that's so smart.
1: Which is brilliant. Christians. Why
0: don't they still do that? The like chapter releases—that's so smart. Well, I mean, well, no one and it's like anymore. it's like an
1: episode <laughs> of television. It's so yeah. brilliant, and yeah. So he did a lot of that. And so he tells Grant this. So Grant's like, "Oh my god!" And now he has like the energy to keep going. But his doctors are saying that Grant doesn't have long to live. They have to relocate him to somewhere cooler, better climate. And so they identify this house, now known as the Grant Cottage. It was known as the Drexel Cottage, which is on Mount McGregor in Wilton, New York, a, the home of. Joe's family friend Joseph Drexel. So they they live there for six weeks. They don't know how much longer Grant has. They move up there. They take a train. Grant is sitting in this leather chair that he has from New York all the way up on the train. Grant is in this bucolic, beautiful, green atmosphere in now the middle of summer in 1885. Mm. Um, What's incredible, Katie, and I wish I had the time or the thinking to go to this place before this podcast but i would very much like to take you on a sort of virtual tour of the grant cottage that still exists today up in up in wilton new york i would Um, love it so this is beautiful yellow and green uh house with this long wrap around porch very simple sort of cottage house the house is amazingly preserved as if grant had was just here the day before and what's interesting is that you see grant's bedroom and in the virtual tour from COVID in Grant's Cottage, which is mm. excellent. Tour guide talks about where's Grant's bed. The students always ask, where's Grant's bed? He's lying between two leather recliners because he mm. couldn't lie back because he would choke on his own tumor. Just really going through it. Um, so those two leather chairs are still there and they look incredible, by the way. Like I have a leather chair, goddamn.
0: That's where that, um, that picture of him all like bundled up with his little hat on. Is that where that was taken? Yeah.
1: Mount McGregor. So he's on the porch every day and you see him in glasses and he's like writing or he's got his hand, he's got his face down. Mm -hmm. He's concentrating or he's reading and he's got cute little glasses on and he's got this little top hat. People say he would, he would tip his tat, his hat to you as you walked by just the gentlest grandpa, um, the sweetest, he can barely speak. He's writing on a scratch pad, what he called his pencil talk. (laughs) Uh. <laughs> now <laughs> what can Grant do about his condition because he's in so much pain? This yeah. is the worst kind of pain, you know? You have a sore throat please. I have a bad relationship with strep throat. My God. Oh yeah. You imagine you've had
0: a sore throat or two. I got my
1: tonsils are about to go. Okay. I'm way too too adult for that. Your
0: your tonsils are on strike.
1: So he needs medication. That's not going to make him, you know, dull. That's not going to kill his mind. You know, he can't have Mm. a So what do they give him? Cocaine. Fuck yeah. (laughs) So cocaine water would be (laughs) administered to the president. Several times a day.
0: So basically he's just drinking like monster energy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I gave up a lifetime of cigars for cocaine water. Not a a bad trade. So the cocaine water would be used to bathe his tongue and his throat as a way to assuage the pain. Ouch. So, what one can imagine that this hopefully did have some relief and he used it quite yeah. often. And the bottle of cocaine water is still there at the house today. Wow. Yes. I mean,
0: we talked about in the operating theater that cocaine was a frequent, yes. um, you know, anesthetic because yes, didn't have much. So, that was always an option. So, that makes sense that that was one of his treatment options. Shoot it,
1: slurp it snort it
0: whatever so, bathe in it apparently, yeah,
1: apparently the, there's like so the little glass bottle is still on the shelf and apparently the um department of parks comes in every year and measures the cocaine in the water <laughs> to make sure that it hasn't been messed with
0: I didn't touch it I didn't touch it I haven't done anything all day I've just been standing here I've been watching the cocaine bottle and I haven't done anything like that
1: it's vibration, it didn't move. Um, what what is amazing is that for years the there was a complex surrounding the Grant Cottage it was a prison. So, like, can you imagine Ooh. like if you're in the Mount McGregor correctional facility for like a cocaine violation and you know the rumors swirling around, you know, have you know, that big house on the hill, they got the cocaine water in the bottle, let's go, oh, let's get it. Let's it, out of here.
0: Have some 155-year-old cocaine water. Um, yeah, I don't know the shelf life for cocaine water.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's like a, just a, a really hard silt at the bottom of the bottle. Yeah. yeah. So this, the place is crazily, eerily preserved, like I said, as, as if the Grants had just left. The place opened in 1895, years after Grant was there. You can see his shirts, his brushes, his robes, his personal ephemera, Ugh. These, you know, these chairs, and— Um, there were these beautiful flower arrangements that were made after he died and they were dipped in beeswax, two of them. Oh. These massive arrangements. They're like four feet tall, not eight feet wide. These, you know, two of thousands Mm. of these arrangements. And they were sent by like the GAR, the... um, uh, the Grand Army, of the Republic, General Meade, other pe- people he had fought with, and so like the hair wreath, these things are really creepy and weird and like discolored and like just bizarre yeah. looking. They're really kind of gauche, but they're they are still there because they would have been wow. placed there when he laid in the house for like a small funeral there. Right. So and
0: Luke, Grant yeah. is Grant is not an an old man. Sixty three. Wild.
1: Very young, which yeah. yeah makes me think of you know people in my life who are in their early sixties and you know.
0: Uh, yeah, our parents. Our parents yeah, are in the case. It makes my pysties. heart, my
1: heart, my heart skip a beat. Um, I don't
0: want to talk about it. I can't <laughs> want to like it.
1: <laughs> so all the while Grant is writing away, writing like crazy. Um, we believe around July 19th, he puts down his pencil and he says there's there's no more to be done to it, to the book. And so thus the last march of Grant begins, the final surrender. There are many other <laughs> military jokes like military <sighs> i can make here it's just so sad because it's so slow like the whole the whole time the country knows what's going on it's not a secret like the other shady prezzies he's out of office he's like yeah y'all, i'm dying <laughs>
0: i'm going which, which also begs the question of like so y'all are just letting this president die
1: poor mm.
0: broke his interesting truck. right
1: yeah. as a private citizen now interesting point you bring that up katie a guy Apparently, who helped
0: save the fucking
1: country saved your country and fought for your rights didn't know who you are and you made a great point before about like what's the retirement package apparently i didn't realize this until i read a little bit more for this podcast mm. grant was re-granted oh, jesus <laughs> 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 oh god um the title of general as post president to collect a, a collect a pension. that's right he got a pension under- yes
0: yes that's right a he, he pension- gave up his presidency so he could be general grant again yes
1: yes he's like well i've always been general grant i'm still general grant give me my 85 cents <laughs> So <laughs> ridiculous so it's like again but it's not it's not systematic it's improvised mm-hmm. it's case by case you know if you're independently wealthy great don't ask the government for more money so there well, were I some think, dispersions given to him some disbursements
0: yeah i wonder if also too it's a lot of the presidents there wasn't much of a history of them dying in in
1: Didn't necessarily live that long. I mean, they they didn't live that long,
0: but yeah, a whole mess of them died in the White House. (laughs) But um, yeah, there weren't many of them that died in like real poverty where like, there was going to be a problem. Like I know some yeah. of them were not maybe in the best financial situations, but like
1: right. the, the grants were in trouble. A victim of predatory lending and are uh, investing, you know, really bad stock market fraud. a
0: victim of listening to your idiot son dummy. <laughs>
1: Always. And it's yeah. like, you know. So after the book is done, they get a bed from upstairs, and they finally lay Dad out on the bed. He's never been, He hasn't been able to lie down in months. Oh. And as soon as he really flattens out, he really begins to fade. And yeah, he, he slowly dies. You know, he's holding on. Finally, July 23rd, 1885, Grant breathes his last at 8 o'clock in the morning. Fred Grant, one of the other sons, stops the clock on the mantle, like Mr. Andrews in the Titanic, at 8.08 oh. a.m., Very poignant scenes that, of course, are disseminated widely across the country in the immediate mythology surrounding his death. So now that Grant has passed, the great pageantry of his funeral will begin. But first, we have to embalm him.
0: Oh, that's right. We're doing that now. (laughs)
1: forgot like, what year it was like we talked about the civil war brought about the embalming process as a right. way of bringing johnny home from the front apparently grant was really like thought that the preservation of bodies was a good thing but he didn't like for his soldiers to see it so close to the battlefield it's I'm not ma- nice yeah it's not exactly inspiring confidence in what you're about to do so he did a, he did a lot to like move the mortuaries and the embalmers away from the battlefield per se. Yeah. Um also grant known as a legendary horseman, which is just an underappreciated skill. Just oh my up. God. Yeah. Cool. And also speaks even to then
0: his- when like everyone rode horses. Yeah, that that speaks to how good you are with horses. If in a time where everyone rides horses, you are exceptional. You are a distinguished
1: horseman. Yeah, and it's a big deal. It's also this thing of like he may not be able to hold a conversation with you, but like animals love him. Right? Fucking can he ride? <laughs> Which I love. I love that Doctor Doolittle. Fringe of you know sigma sigma male energy. Okay. Oh, so-
0: watching a man ride a horse.
1: <laughs> the thrusting.
0: What that does. In (laughs) Let me tell you. 1923 is a good time.
1: (laughs) Dances with Wolves, VHS, warn the hell out. (laughs) I'm I'm sweating right now. So apparently Grant said something about embalming. He, mm. he said, if I should die here at Mount McGregor, make arrangements for embalming my body and retaining it for burial until pleasant weather in the fall. Otherwise, you know, in other words, keep my body preserved and then have the funeral later. Don't worry about the funeral, bill. I know it's going to be expensive. It's going to be crazy. Don't worry about it. Do it in the fall when, you know, everything's kind of chilled out.
0: Again, the fact that he has to think about this and the country isn't just going to handle it is bonkers.
1: And he says further, do not let the memory of me interfere with the progress of the book. He's like, get the goddamn book out before you even touch my body. Because this is just, he's trying to help his family. It's That's his concern. Unbelievable. His, his guiding thought, you know, giving him purpose in his final days, but also killing him. Grant, <gasps> Grant had seen the excess of the Lincoln and the Garfield funerals. And there's an amazing lithograph of Grant looking at Garfield's body in the Capitol.
0: Ooh. from 1881
1: so Chester Arthur is there I think Blaine is there and then Grant is like off to the side kind of looking <laughs> chilling in the picture I, like I hate this <laughs> oh, it's so weird so you know it's Did just- you find it it's around, yeah. I've seen it. Oh, it's, I gotta see it. I gotta oh, see I'll send it to it. you. It's
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So, Grant had seen these big funerals. So, these embalmers far and wide. There's a huge net cast to get embalmers. There's like seven embalmers involved, which I just don't like when there's when it's so sloppy like this. When there's so many different heads. Um, Why? I feel
0: like it's a one man operation. No, maybe
1: two. <sighs> it's also this thing that kind of emerges where it's like you get you know you know from Lincoln, he's embalmed kind of multiple times. Like they had to redo it and then like well, redo it. Well, that was it and a certain it. set of circumstances. Yeah. So. Again, it's hot. It's the summertime, and Grant has to make you know he has to be preserved in Mount McGregor, and then move to Albany, and then move to New York. It's not that far of a trip, but it's no some time involved. And the, it's sure the issue was the specimen we're talking about in terms of embalming Grant. He had lost like a hundred pounds in the course of his <sighs> illness, yeah. And he's got this massive thing in his gullet, this massive tumor. Well, he um, he couldn't eat very much, could not eat cancer. very much. So there's yeah. not a lot going through his body. So his tubes are kind of under-trafficked in general. Mm. Um, So uh, uh, an embalmer by the name of Ebenezer Holmes arrives on the scene, and he has his new invention called the corpse cooler casket. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) That's copyright. Don't you take that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And if we are, we love the Victorian period. So we know about corpse preservers and the funky mortuary stuff that goes on. Grant's Part of this. So basically it's like a big, a big casket. That's got a, a wicker like basket that like grant sits in. And then below that is a grate where you have all this ice. So the ice is just in there with him and it's metal. So it's it's like a big refrigerator that has no power. Big ice box. (laughs) Fairly simple, like really lame ass invention, but basic. You know what I mean? Like it does what it's supposed to do. So they put him on ice immediately. And then um, Felix Sullivan becomes part of the embalming along with another man named Merritt. So it seems like Merritt would do the funeral arranging whereas Mm. Sullivan did the embalming along with others. So there's like different roles. Whereas today we might think of like. The so-and-so funeral home does the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of broken up here. It's a that fairly new science. Easier. Yeah, it's a new business. Um, yeah. And this whole thing costs 14 grand, by the way, <whistles> in 1885. Houses. Yipes is right, um, which is a lot. Multiply that by like 30 and you get to where you're supposed to be. In but terms who's of paying for this? Well, that's the question. Um, there's an outpouring of 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 donations that come after this, but not right away. So the bills will get paid. Um, So the cancer affects his appearance. Um, He has this weight loss. His neck and throat are completely destroyed by this tumor. Um, His body's intact. The family said no autopsy. They want his family, his body intact, but they also want him embalmed. So, like, he wasn't sliced immediately, but he would be sliced. They needed (laughs) those,
0: like... 1910s high, high fucking collars that like came up to your cheekbone.
1: <laughs> oh yes, very secure like poking in the this, eye.
0: This would be a good time for turtlenecks. To this be around. a great time for <laughs> turtlenecks.
1: The great time for a scarf. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so he's really emaciated, and apparently the tumor in his in his neck would not allow for the embalming fluids to really migrate to his head properly.
0: So oh. from the beginning,
1: his head did not look good. It's just shriveling up. It's, yeah, it's it's turning colors, it's getting crazy. The public is voracious for any tea on this and the they are part. running with all of it. They're like, these embalmers are hucksters. Mm. Grant looks like shit. Um, There may have been some displeasure expressed by the family by some of Grant's brothers who saw him in Albany and we're like, oh Jesus, Yuli look bad. Um,
0: yeah. I mean, a but, lot of people also ha- probably hadn't seen how bad, how he, bad he had gotten. So he Heartless. didn't look good
1: at the end. Right. And let's be honest like, what did these people think embalmers were going to actually do? I don't know. In today's world, we look at a body in a casket and we go, oh, they look good, regardless of how they look.
0: I've seen many thing. a, a post mortem. Yeah. In a casket where it's like, oh, I know this person stopped eating yeah. like a week before they died. So, of course, they're gone. No, they don't look like the way no. that they did when I knew them. And no one really looks good. No, you look dead.
1: And <laughs> everyone the- looks dead. And I think the Victorians <laughs> had this like inflated expectation, or they just love the rumor of like botched embalming the The practice was also very young, so there were bad embalmers. Like there yeah. were like really bad embalmers, and I shudder to think about what a bad embalming looked like in 1875. I like, mean, not well, being able you.
0: to do the head is a pretty bad embalming.
1: Yeah. So immediately, people. Now, this is interesting, Katie. There are people in the in the media. They're citing the failures of the Lincoln and Garfield embalmings, re- re- reflecting their painting and dying of the face. They're saying, "Oh, it's just like Lincoln. They're fucking it up." And I was Mm. like, hold up. Because, like, again, we weren't we we weren't there, but it sounded like you know the the Lincoln had a tough time when he died, as we know. But like, we also know that like he was so preserved that in like 1909, his head is still there. Like,
0: yeah, in defense of the embalmers, <laughs> yeah, uh, they his face had was black,
1: to, but he still had a face. They
0: had to do it a few times. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if maybe you caught the tail end of the funeral train, he wasn't looking his
1: best. <laughs> That's the thing. So the embalming takes two days. So they're trying really bad and the head is not looking good. So there's a lot of morbid rumors. And I I really wanted to kind of focus on this because this is like the morbid obsession Mm. of the moment. That people were just so into. The embalmers would invite reporters in for private viewings. Then the reporters who weren't invited would, would write terrible stories in their papers. We have that secret photo of Lincoln's head. There is no photos of Grant's head. A sculptor by the name of Carl Gerhardt makes a death mask of Grant yeah. right after he dies. And his face is a little bit sunken on yeah, the right is. side. But other than that, it's a very good you know, cast. Yeah, you um, know, I
0: was just thinking, I, I don't think I've ever looked at a
1: post-mortem photo no. And apparently oh, he was in a glass cased coffin. Hmm. And so you could look at him through a pane of glass. Which is the most Victorian thing ever. Like a hair. Wreath, yeah. he's, under, yeah. he's under a globe. A great way to preserve him as well. Apparently his uniform was not available so they just put him in like a suit. You know, oh the whole come thing. on everybody! No, He's the general! <laughs> Try harder! <laughs> it's just annoying. You have six kids. Put one of them on a train to Galena. Get a goddamn suit. Damn it. West Point isn't that fucking far away, y'all? I can't. I can't. I can't. The reports are a little bit ghoulish, if you'll permit me. Some of the reports say that his flesh looked puffy and the skin looked mm. loose. Uh no. was coming off his fa- face. The nose was contracted. Dark rings around the eyes. Um, dis- dis- discoloration on the temple. And they actually, people would say you could see the paint like, and the powder on his face. Which, of course, you could say. Yeah. Of course. Come on. Yeah. People are being really critical. <laughs> And so I love it, though, but like and people and like we were talking, this is so overdone in terms of history. People have researched the hell out of this. Mm -hmm. And people say that it was the primitive lighting in the cottage where the embalming was done that led to them (laughs) painting him like the wrong color because he looked really good. He looks like Ronald McDonald. (laughs) He looks like a hamburger bun. Yeah. (laughs) homer you haven't said i'm horror like just <laughs> oh no of course he's discolored he's filled with cancer,
0: <laughs> cancer oh, and now in formaldehyde
1: he's no longer alive <laughs> so he's displayed in the cottage there's a small funeral then they bring grant to albany by train and he's moving on the train. So, of course, the body gets disheveled in the train. Yeah. Wibbly wobbly. And he is viewed in the state capitol at Albany, which had just been built, beautiful Gilded Age building for three days. Then the grandest pageantry of, of funerary scale goes she- on didn't want <laughs> which he didn't want in New York in on August 8th, 1885. Ooh, that's a hot that's a hot day of That's the year. a hot day in New York. And so it's the spirit of reunification. That's mm. what Grant was all about. And when he ran for president, one of his slogans was let us have peace. Let us let the peace continue. And so that became his epitaph. And it literally mm. is the words above uh, his monument today is Grant's tomb in New York City. So there's a huge procession of people 1.5 million people attend the funeral the population of new york is only 1.2 million at the time there's a eight mile procession up broadway all the way uptown to the center of the universe Riverside Park,
0: <laughs> everyone's favorite <laughs> New York
1: location. Oh dear! Um, <laughs> so there's sixty thousand marchers, including Union and Confederate soldiers. There were generals on both sides that served as his pallbearers. So again, this idea that the I South mean that's and, a beautiful thing. That is incredible. Black troops are there. There's this huge presence and. It's very powerful. The pictures, which there are many, 1885, astounding images, as we see from the Lincoln funeral to the Grant funeral, both taking place in the same place. Grant was also in City Hall, just like Lincoln had been in City Hall, lying in state. Um, and so Grant is placed in a temporary tomb as his big old tomb is being built. Mm-hmm. And as he is put in the little baby tomb, he is encased... <laughs> Sexy baby, baby tomb. Sexy baby tomb. He, he is encased in a steel box because <clears throat> a few years prior, Lincoln's body was almost stolen. If you recall. You may recall in the year of our Lord 1876, Lincoln's body was almost babied. So they were like, <laughs> we no.
0: Can we just take a time out and just <laughs> once world's, again the world's colliding? Jay, tell the 19th century to get its act together. <laughs>
1: how many countermeasures how many countermeasures to grave robbing can we talk about (laughs) in six months i mean we just scratched the surface my friend you know this like oh another thing that was funny is that one of the funerary people involved with grant his name was william burke shut the fuck up i know and he has his own company that's still around today in new york state
0: (gasps) Also, we need to make Ebenezer a thing again. I think that name <laughs> needs to make a comeback.
1: <laughs> I love Ebenezer so much. Neesy. I like saying things the wrong way. So yeah. I, there was an Ebenezer church by my college, mm. and I, my friends and I, just love mispronouncing things. We called it Ebenezer. Ebenezer. You go to the Ebenezer church.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's so many nicknames. You got Eb, Ebby, Nez, yeah, Nezzy, Mezzy.
1: Zer. <laughs> Just bring, just bring it up. It's a gift. Eh. <laughs> it's just every syllable is a gift. Um. <laughs> so not relevant. So, But
0: anyway. Anyway,
1: there's a couple things also going on. The memoir mm-hmm. comes out months after Grant dies. Right. Oh, it's a bestseller.
0: Bucket it is. Hell yeah. First so, of all, you've got the world's best uh, publicist you've got the best Samuel Clemens. In Mark Twain. Just, Everybody's just, read most of it at this point. <laughs> a chapter's coming out I'm every I want a week. bat
1: for you. And Grant and, and Twain loved the the pros people mm. think the book is a really good read it's still being published today being printed rather have um, you read it i never have i have read parts of it like a lot of these books like mm, 600 mm, mm. it's a lot it's a lot 600 um, pages is a lot it's a lot and someone talking
0: about themselves 600 pages is so a lot. as
1: some of us may remember i had a in my early museum career i worked at the mark twain house in hartford connecticut yes and this was such a fun part of the story to tell which is, mm. which is why it's so near to my heart and they had a copy or i believe the actual check <gasps> that Twain had written to Julia Grant after uh, Ulysses' death for $200,000.
0: I love that.
1: So we told that story in it's completion. Ah! That was one of two checks that Julia got. She got over $450,000 total from the publication. So like, you know, these other publishing companies might have offered him 10% or 15% of the, of the profits. Twain offered him a large gross of the profits. Um, and All told, $400,000 in today's money is about $12 I was going to say, that's a
0: lot of fucking money.
1: So Julia goes from having nothing to having everything immediately. And for all we know, she- Not everything.
0: She She doesn't have her Yuli.
1: She's missing her boo.
0: Her Yuli Yuli.
1: But she would go on to live a fabulous life until dying about 30 years later. Um, It's a long, long post-husband. Or maybe it was more like- almost 20 years later if we get out of count math not good so yeah math <laughs> terrible numbers um, bad um so there's a lot of questions and i think it's fun for us to talk about why new york city um that's why was the, grant buried that's there? the number
0: one question i think from most the midwest
1: missouri illinois what's the connection who grant's cares final, yeah grant's final wishes he said look you can put me in new york city You can bury me in West Point. You can bury me in Galena, Illinois or St. Louis, wherever you want. Um, The only problem was he wanted Julia buried by his side. You cannot Mm -hmm. bury a non-military personnel next to a general at Arlington or at West Point or in DC in many locations. So it's really sad. And we often forget that a lot of these first couples are actually resting somewhere. Not together. Yeah. So the mayor of New York, Mayor Grace makes a pitch pretty quick and Grant, was really moved by the kindness of New Yorkers. When he lived in New York with his wife, he was really bowled over by. You can imagine walking down Fifth Avenue. People were effusively falling over to say hello. Mm-hmm. And to, to say hello, General. Um, and so the kindness of New Yorkers, folks. The kindness of New Yorkers is what made <laughs> your New perfect. York accent is
0: fantastic. Hello, no, General, you how, Grant. Hey, Grant. How are you, this is Grant?
1: How are you? Oh, my God. It's Ulysses. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's the general. Oh,
0: Oh my God. Somebody take a picture. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he looks so good. He's got a lot of color in his face. You been tanning? You tanning? Are you out tanning?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm smoking. Too. So Julia lived in New York. She liked New York. And Mayor Grace is promising him, you know, the world, saying, hey, you know, let's bury you in New York, man, whenever the time comes. So Mayor Grace tours the the surviving Grants around the city after Grant's death, including Central Park, which Grant loved Central Park, which I love. Mm. Um, so uh, Mayor, Mayor Grace offers the Bluffs of Riverside Park at 122nd Street, which is a brand new park. It's a blank slate. And the site was just far from everything, as it, it still is, is today.
0: It's still very far And Riverside is very much settled And expensive Depending on where you live over there But regardless, it is a hike
1: It is a hike And I used to live at on Riverside Drive, you did, yeah, about two blocks from Grant's tomb. So it's a very special place in my heart. But mm. you know, the neighborhood was not always what it is today as well. So people would say there were more goats than people up there at the time in 1885. <laughs> it's not in the center of, of anything. You know, Grace is punting this flag, saying the center of commerce and industry is going uptown, and someday, you know, this tomb yeah. will be the center point of this cultural, you know, sort of hub.
0: <laughs> Julie's like, "Are you fucking kidding me? Didn't <laughs> the, the
1: the the tomb would take twelve years to build. The Grant Monument Association comes together. Check out the lineup of dudes on this Mime Association. Roscoe Conkling, our old Republican Party boss. Oh, my God. Well, he got
0: on very well with Grant. Grant (laughs) helped him out a lot.
1: Oh, he did. So now, yeah, all the favors are getting pulled back. So (laughs) these guys got to raise the money. Roscoe Roscoe Conkling, former president and New York City boo, Chester A. Arthur.
0: Oh, these are the guys who have the money. These guys All all the the official hair.
1: J.P. Morgan, (laughs) John J. Astor, and our buddy from Staten Island, Cornelius Vanderbilt, the Commodore.
0: Fucking hell. The richest of the rich.
1: The railroads, the banking, all of it is coming together. And it still took all the best facial hair. Still took those biddies 12 years. (laughs)
0: Motherfuckers. (laughs) We're invested. (laughs) But like not bad investors. What
1: I have come to understand, which makes no sense, is that you could only donate a certain amount of money to this to this thing. Like you like an individual. Could not donate more than a dollar. So I don't have income was,
0: tax. I was, <laughs> can have all the money in the world, but I'm not allowed
1: to. <laughs> so it's supposed to be like this democratic thing, like the people raise the money. That's that was the ethic of it, which is just it's, just, it's a hard sell. But this was not not uncommon. So the mausoleum that's going to be built for Grant is this gigantic Get dim project that is, you know, based on the neoclassical. um, It's neoclassical, so it's based on the old world, Roman and Greek. It's based on the Halicarnassus tomb, which is in Turkey, which is built for King Mausolus, which is where Mausoleum comes from. I didn't Mm. know that. Um, I was
0: going to say, look at you just saying stuff.
1: (laughs) So it's like this and it's like that. I just learned
0: this two hours ago. I just just wrote this.
1: Anyway, it's wrong. It's (laughs) fake. The architect is John Duncan, who is uh, the winner of a second design competition. So this thing is big. Now, what was interesting about this is that the cost of the tomb is compared against Garfield's tomb, which I think is beautiful. I've never yeah, been, it is beautiful. It's the brownstone. And Lincoln's tomb. So they're all contemporary. Yep. The Lincoln and Garfield tombs cost about two hundred to $250,000. This tomb cost about $600,000. Wow. And they raised a million. So, like, they went ham, as they say, on this. They did. Wow. <laughs> And the tomb that Grant is actually entombed in, because the retort to Groucho Marx's joke, and actually Shirley Temple also said it in the 1930s in a movie, uh, who's buried in Grant's tomb, no one, Grant is entombed there. Because he's not buried in a tomb, blah, blah, blah. blah, blah. So the tomb is is actually based on Napoleon's tomb in Paris. So it's this global icon, and it's the biggest mausoleum in the Western Hemisphere. 8,000 tons of granite. Amazing marble interior. It is a beautiful site. If you ever have the chance to go uptown, check it out. Grant's Tomb, Riverside Church, right across the street. Yeah. You've got Columbia. You've got great views of the Hudson. Um, and and so, it's a great area. It's a great area. So uh, uh, it was dedicated in 1897 on Grant's 75th birthday. President McKinley, who would also be assassinated, was there. <laughs> <to dedicate> it. <laughs> it. Yeah. Um, there's a million spectators that come to that event. Wow. Still a lot of staying power. Jeff Davis's widow attends. She is the friend of Julia now.
0: Jefferson Davis, former leader former of the Confederacy. President
1: of the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. His widow is friends with Julia because you know what? Everybody's friends with Julia. Let's
0: let bygones
1: <laughs> be bygones. But you know what? Julia's got the money. Julia's picking up the <laughs> tab at Delmonico's. <Okay>?
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> After your husband is the failed president of the Confederacy, you're gonna get real,
1: real chummy
0: with Mrs. Chummy. Grant.
1: But this is the thing that historians say is that it kind you know this huge outpouring, a million people even year, ten years later, and there's still all of this reunification you know porn going on. But the country yeah. is having problems. The South is winning in terms of the race war. It's not going well. So when when the place is built it's a huge tourist draw apparently grant's tomb had more visitors than the statue of liberty through wow. world war one wow now if you've ever been to the statue of liberty my god a lot of people go through there a day it's nuts there <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a cattle call them. going to ellis island is like going to ellis island it's there's like a, being in there's three thousand people no one speaks english <laughs> it's fantastic um so that dips after World War 1, so like we were saying, you know, the grant the the grant's light begins to dim. And what's happening at this time? The lost cause ideology is beginning to pick up. It's bad. It's this bad. It's bad. Mythic revision of history that the Civil War was fought for states' rights, elevating the honor, the heroism, the chivalry of the South and promoting this idea of northern aggression. And in Grant's memoirs, he said, let it be known that the cause of the war of rebellion against the states was slavery. Yeah. In 1885. He's like, no, 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 no. But Grant's death and ultimate, you know, sort of passing of the torch would cre- would, would revise this idea. And there's a historian who said there were more statues of Lee made after World War One than Grant. It's such a problem, and that again, when people say about these statues, you and I have been hitting on this topic a lot lately, which I love. Um, the idea of the statues and the moving of the chess pieces on our proverbial, you know, landscape of memory. Yeah, um, that a lot of these memorials to to General Lee are from 1889, 1895, 1910. They are a, a. They have
0: nothing to do with the actual Civil War. They're they are all wish post. fulfillment. Yes. Yeah. They,
1: are mythologizing the past and it it speaks to a time and that time is a time trying to promote racism and trying to promote, you know, um, the supremacy of white people and
0: trying to change what actually happened, you know, and, and unfortunately this continues on to today. And it has, the narrative has even been, you know, held up by some of our presidents, like Woodrow Wilson, totally, Believed in the lost cause narrative, love,
1: love the birth of a nation from New Jersey. Yeah, such Um a problem. (laughs) So Grant's tomb kind of becomes like this avatar for our relationship with civil war memory, which mm. I think is just so juicy. So the site really languishes in the 20th century, the 1960s, the 1990s, our old buddy, Robert Moses draws uh route nine, a basically around ah! tomb, carves <laughs> up Riverside park. Now you and I know we are a little bit younger, but we know that in the 1970s and the eighties, Riverside Park was a really scary place.
0: It was well, no <laughs> one was no one was visiting Grant. I think Grant's ghost was scared to be there.
1: <laughs> it's so scary. You're on the edge of Manhattan. It's dark. It's, it's a illy. very
0: good place to commit terrifying crimes. Right, and no like, one's gonna come and find no you. one.
1: You, you, and yeah. you're not. Your your neighbor is the water. Your neighbor is a highway. No one can see you do what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It's you just disappear into the darkness. You know, mm-hmm. if you've seen the American Horror Story in New York City. That is, you know, a lot of those gay murders take place in Riverside Park. You yeah. Know, the Warriors 1980s movie. And these oh, are yeah. movies, but that Riverside Park is the place where these guys are making these chases and these, yeah. you know, killings, yeah. um, which is just terrifying to think of. And so Grant's tomb literally was a dump. Like, you know, yeah. you, you imagine, like, you know, if you, a local park where kids go drinking, like every Monday morning, you know, the custodian, all oh, the kids, these kids pick up like 85 cans of beer like and needles. There's a lot of, A lot of stuff going on.
0: It's the saddest.
1: But there's a renaissance. So, this is incredible um, that there is a young man, Frank Scotero, who is a volunteer at Grant's tomb. He's a college student at Columbia. And he looks at this condition of the tomb in the 1990s as this is a disgrace. And he writes letters to the Park Service. Eventually, he gets the word of some politicians and legislation. Uh, is actually drafted in this time to move the tomb from New York to Illinois.
0: Amazing. And they
1: say, "Hey, in Illinois, we can take care of our own. We got we got Lincoln's tomb and his tomb is looking fine. <laughs> <laughs> we know how we, to keep a dead took, guy happy." We, t- we, <laughs> <laughs> we took our licks, but we figured it out. And <laughs> we moved his body 14 times, but <laughs> That's not the point. <laughs> Was it stolen? No. Foiled. Um so um so they're so grants 2 might move to Illinois. Like what in the 1990s? This is insane. So. Actually, Scotero had a great partner and he had uh, Ulysses Grant Dietz, who was a great great grandson of Ulysses S. Grant, mm. who is his comp- who is his partner in this. And they lead this offensive where they get to Congress and they inspire the federal government to save Grant's tomb yeah. so it's properly cleaned, you know, the site is yeah. secure. And that also happened what happens in the nineteen nineties. Rudy Giuliani, the city of New York, goes through a transformation. He kills so, all the homeless. Correct. We all clean the Square. You know, <laughs> That's what happens, and so you know, New York today is a sanitized, gentrified playground of the Gilded Age, part two. And Grant's Tomb is having its second life, and it's one of my don't call
0: it a comeback.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Resurrected, it's one of my favorite (laughs) New York spots, and it's just a very special place. So I would entreat you to visit, and maybe I'll come with you to the uh, not McGregor to Grant's Cottage. (laughs) It's so far upstate. It's just like. What town is it? It's in Wilton. I think it's like a 6 or 8 hour drive from the city.
0: Oh god, this is above Saratoga.
1: Yes, this is fall.
0: You know what? I'm going to Saratoga this summer. Oh good. I think that that needs to be that a side a side trip. Yeah. That's that's exciting. Oh, now <laughs> I'm excited.
1: <laughs> I love that. Yeah, no, it's a it's again, I have not been. It's in the middle of nowhere, but it looks incredible. So yeah, if you're going to Canada, going to Saratoga, Going to Upper New England, check out.
0: Oh yeah, it's twenty Grant's minutes cottage. from where I'm staying. Done. Perf. I'll say hi.
1: <laughs> so what is really cool about Mount McGregor today is that um, there was a Balmoral Hotel right next to the cottage that burned. <laughs> It, okay, so this is great because it follows our morbid fascination with landscapes. Yes. So the the mountain where Grant's Cottage is, right? So it becomes mm-hmm. this hotel. Hotel Burns. It then becomes a tuberculosis sanitarium.
0: Oh, no. Oh,
1: great. Then so much ni-
0: coughing in that area. <laughs> then
1: in 1945, it becomes a veterans hospital post-World War II. 1960. It becomes a Department of Mental Health.
0: I knew facility. it. I knew that's what you were going
1: to say. What I, you know it. You know it. And you know there's nothing else in this goddamn town. This is the only thing. <laughs> 1976, it becomes a prison. This town is so haunted. It's just like every 15 years, this place becomes something worse. Worse? Yeah. So <laughs> the Mount McGregor <laughs> Correctional Facility. So Mo Rocca visits the cottage like 10 years ago for um, a verse for uh, what the hell is it? The Daily CBS Show? Sunday, CBS on oh, the okay, morning. Yeah. And he's like, you know, to get to the cottage, you have to pass through prison security. And it's like, cause like the cottage is like part of the prison. It's like not part of the prison, but like, it's like in the prison. It's so freaky. Yeah. It's really freaky. So in 2014, the prison closed.
0: Bye. And
1: now it's a haunted landscape waiting for a new life with a new developer. So we're going to start a crowdsourcing fund to get well, that going. Well, i going to check it out this summer to survey the situation. <laughs> Come to, yeah, I'm a, I'm a wealthy industrialist, HG Pennypecker. I would like to build a Grant, Grant Land Amusement Park here on this property. <laughs> it's got good bones. <laughs> All the
0: ghosts will help build it up. I drove halfway All across the, the state, yes.
1: <laughs> Um, so that's the museum is the death. The death museum of grant is the grant cottage. There's his home in Missouri. You can see, um, he, uh, what I thought was really great. He has a, there's a general grant cigar at the Texas civil war museum in Fort worth. That's just one of the, you know, many, like, you know, Fake Uh-oh. cigars, claiming to yeah, hundred percent. It's a dime museum gift, like for real. And, and the cigar that killed Grant—the last cigar I ever smoked. Yeah, um. I mean,
0: Grant is fuck. Go to any Civil War battleground. <laughs> and you're essentially <laughs> spending time with Grant.
1: <laughs> Get down into the substrate and you'll find yeah. whatever you need to find. Yeah. Um, so I would highly recommend going to the tomb, going to the cottage, um, checking out a lot of what the National Park Service has done on chronicling Grant's life online. Mm. There's, of course, great books by folks like Ron Chernow and others that come to mind. Um, there's one by this guy named Louis Pacone called Grant's Tomb, The Epic Death of Ulysses S. Grant, which really goes into the funeral and yeah. the pageantry That's and all great. the surrounding that.
0: I didn't know a ton about that. That was Really,
1: really interesting, Luke. Thank you. Well, you know, how do we find the morbid through line? Um, Yeah. And I also have this. (laughs) Being dead
0: isn't good enough. (laughs) I also
1: have this book, which I just picked up, which is called (laughs) Who's, Who's Buried in Grant's Tomb? And it is a tour. Of presidential grave sites, so Katie, we have our work cut out for us. We have a lot of work to do, <laughs> <laughs> but I hope you have enjoyed this uh, this this tour through the agonizing days of the last of, of the 18th president.
0: So, Luke, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. It uh, I actually learned a lot because um, any any grant related thing has it kind of like ends. When he like dies, <laughs> most of the things that I've studied. So hearing like this additional fucking Michigas. Just...
1: I'm glad you didn't take it for granted. And I grant you um, that there's a lot more we can learn if we grant ourselves a little bit of space and time. I don't I don't want to be my like friend that.
0: anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, so this thus concludes our thus presidential concludes. presidential season 2023.
1: Um <laughs> only on C SPAN 4. <laughs>
0: <Exactly>. <laughs>
1: ESPN ate the Ocho. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like in Dodge. Oh my god.
1: That's um, All right. Yeah. So stay tuned, folks, and uh we'll see you next time.
0: Yeah, we're gonna take a little break. <laughs> oh
1: yes, we're gonna we take are... a little break break to write our memoirs
0: we are president to doubt we need we need a couple weeks to cry about this and be upset and (laughs) (laughs) we'll be back in uh probably eh, like the second second-ish week of March for some more morbid content for you. So we'll see you then.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Morbid Museum podcast. Please remember to rate, subscribe, and review the Morbid Museum podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Please follow us on social media at the Morbid Museum on TikTok and Instagram. Please email us at Museum at gmail.com. Please join us on Patreon. Become a buddy today. Until next time, we'll see you for another gallery talk inside the Morbid Museum podcast. Bye now. Bye.